0: Well, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, in the glory of your transfiguration upon the mount, you revealed your full divinity to your chosen disciples that they might know the fullness of who you are as the Son of God and the incarnate Savior. Bless us and grant that we might see the brightness of your face as well in the ways that you reveal it to us now, that like your disciples of old, we may ever follow you and remain faithful in all things. Lord, we ask this in your most holy name, O Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Good morning. All right. You definitely need a hymnal, so before you sit down, today is 100% a hymnal day. In fact, that's where we're going to start. So, I'm going to just kind of review some of what we talked about last time. Then we're going to jump in, page 326 in the hymnal. So, uh, remember a couple of things from last time. Uh, Remember the directions. Remember the directions. There's the the vertical, the up and down directions, which is your relationship with God, things salvific, when it comes to sins and forgiveness of sins, when you sin on the vertical, in the vertical direction, that brings death. And when God forgives, and we would call divine forgiveness absolution, So when absolution comes, it is an uh, acquittal. Uh, But in a better sense, it's an undoing. So remember that poem, that God is the repairer of fences, but he is the great undoer. So the things that you have done, he doesn't just erase, he actually undoes so that they never happened. At least on that, in that direction. The other direction When you sin, it causes harm to other people, and always it causes harm to you. Any sin causes harm to you, but it also causes harm to other people. Even the things that are small that you don't think of, they cause harm. So then forgiveness in that direction is moving beyond the sin, putting it behind you, not talking about it again, and living as if you had forgotten it or as if it didn't happen, even though deep down you know that it did. That's very difficult. I've said that before. And the more you think about it, the more difficult you realize it is. C.S. Lewis has a really great quote where he says, everybody thinks, even the pagan, that forgiveness is a marvelous idea until they find themselves in a position where they have something to forgive. And then, all of a sudden, you can look at other people and say, you know, you should forgive so-and-so. But when you're faced with the reality that somebody has slighted you, forgiveness becomes a much more difficult thing to do. And in fact, you don't really want to do it. Because if we're going to be honest with one another and with ourselves, it's much more fun and it feels much better to hold on to a grudge. You know, uh, so I, I am, I am uh, very proud of my Scottish ancestry, but the Scots are not known as being people that were easily forgiving and who got along really well with each other. Uh, <laughs> there were lots of feuds, and when I was in college, one of my friends, uh, she was a MacDougall And she said, oh, I don't know if we can be friends. And I said, why not? And she said, because I need to look and see if MacDougall and MacFergus fought. Because if we we have a feud, then I take that stuff really seriously and we're not going to be friends. And then she came back the next day and she said, don't worry. Not only did we not feud but Macfergus came to aid MacDougall when we were feuding with somebody else. <laughs> oh, yeah, so not, not only are we, is it okay for us to be friends, but we're actually allies. Okay? That's, the way, that's the way you are always tempted to behave. And when you look at, at <clears throat> toxic, or what we would call a toxic congregation, or a toxic community, it's really at its core, a community where, on the outside, it looks like people just don't get along. They're always fighting. But deep down, the reason why nobody gets along and the reason why everybody is fighting is because nobody forgives. Everybody holds grudges, so they form cliques. And then the cliques break apart and form new cliques. And those cliques break apart and what you find is everybody has something against everybody else. Even the people that they say that they are friends with or that they ally with, they have something against them. It's the old, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So the real toxicity in a community, or in specifically in a church congregation that behaves that way, is not in what we would say are toxic people. Now, toxic people are very real people, but they're not toxic because somehow they're poisonous people. It's because they have allowed, they have taken a sip of poison, and the poison has filled them up, so that every time they talk, poison comes out of their mouths. They become little serpents filled with venom, and they spread it. Through the ba- the backbiting and the ankle biting that they do in the community, that's what a lack of forgiveness does. Lack of remember that. So lack of forgiveness is almost synonymous with ha- with hatred. Why would you not forgive somebody? Well, what it really boils down to is hatred, and what that is is drinking poison and waiting for your enemy to die. And the only thing that really happens is you hurt yourself but you are willing to do it because of spite and hatred for the other person. So that's not the way that Christians are to behave. Christians are to behave in the more difficult way, which is to love and to forgive. You are to forgive the inexcusable, because every sin is inexcusable, remember. There's nothing, there's never a time when sin is okay. So you first have to acknowledge, yes, sin is inexcusable in others, and in me, and therefore you forgive the inexcusable in other people, not because they're deserving of it, but because Christ has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Christ has undone what you have done, and when you live in that undoing, you are to acknowledge that God undoes things for other people too. That is one reason why there is the parable of the unforgiving servant who has his debt wiped out, undone. That debt doesn't happen anymore. What debt? What sin? It's gone. But who shakes down his fellow servant That's why that parable is told and why that fellow servant is, excuse me, is a wicked servant. And there is a reason why when you look at the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus gives it, after he says, here's how to pray, he says, if you do not forgive, you also will not be forgiven that when you say, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts, as we forgive those, it is conditional. Forgiveness depends on being forgiven and on offering forgiveness. So when God undoes what you have done, and you attempt to resuscitate what he has undone, for another, then the Lord will resuscitate what he has undone in you. So remember all of this, and then remember why we confess our sins because I gave you a number of reasons why, and I don't expect you to remember them all verbatim. But remember, we confess our sins, firstly, because we have faith, and faith agrees with what Jesus says. So when Jesus says, you've not been good, faith says, you're right, I haven't been good, and therefore I should confess. I should give those sins to Jesus so that Jesus can get rid of them. This is the other thing to learn from John 2, from the wedding at Cana. We talked about that in terms of a baptism, because I asked you, why does the church baptize? And the answer is, in the words of Mary, whatever he says to you, do it. And those words are still alive. Whatever Jesus says to you, do it. So we do it. But there is a deeper reality there, or at least a parallel reality in that story and that is when you give your problems to Jesus and in this case we talk about when you give your sins to Jesus they cease to be a problem they cease to exist what you give to Jesus is rectified what problems you give to Jesus are removed what sins you give to Jesus don't exist anymore so faith says I understand that I'm a sinner, and I understand that if I give Jesus my sins, they're gone. Uh, So, because I believe that, I want my sins to be gone, and I will give them to Jesus, so I will confess my sins. Faith wants to live. Your eyes are opened now. You have seen what is at the end of the road. I just read this yesterday working on my commentary, and uh, so it's fresh in my mind. But Thomas Aquinas, whose name you may or may not know, he's considered a doctor of the church. He is is a Roman Catholic philosopher, and he wrote what is arguably one of the best works in the history of anything that's been written in the church, which is the, the Summa Theologica, all theology I have it in my office if you ever want to look at it. They look like lawyer volumes. Big, nondescript blue books. There's like six or eight of them just in a big line. And they ta- it's everything is in there. And he talks about the transfiguration. This is why I was reading it, because tomorrow is the transfiguration. And he said, why was the transfiguration necessary? Because every disciple is walking on a road, but he has no motivation to walk on the road unless he can see what is at the end of his road. You must know what is at the end of your road in order for you actually to have any motivation to walk it. This is the magnificent deceit of the devil. Is The devil is, <laughs> this is The devil is the Wisconsin Dells. The devil is Branson. The devil is Las Vegas. Why? Because of all the razzle-dazzle. Because it's so bright. There's bright lights, big city. Yeah, everything is, it's there to distract you. It's there to pull you in. And that's what the devil's road is, because if you knew what was at the end of the road, you wouldn't walk the road. So it's a big road of distractions. Stop here, look at this, what's that over there? Hey, do you like this? Come over here for a minute. That's what it is, and you, you live your whole life like going back and forth. There was a video for a while that was circulating on the internet of a, the difference between two dogs at a dog show one was very well trained, and it was a German Shepherd, and it, they had to run this gauntlet. There were little bowls of treats and balls and toys, and they had to just go from here to here, right down, without looking at anything else. Boy, this woman comes in with her German Shepherd, go, and that dog just did it. And then this cute little girl came with, it must have been the family dog, God bless him. This golden retriever. And they said, go, and this retriever was already like, "Mm." and that retriever stopped at everything (laughs) along the way. Sampled a little bit from every treat bowl, picked up every ball, then put it down, picked up every toy and gave it a shake. All the way down, didn't miss anything. Now that's a different kind of a test. I'd say, uh, you know, if the, if the ultimate goal was to make sure that you sampled a little bit of everything, he did a great job. The problem is, what you are is the golden retriever, and the devil sets up little bowls of treats here, and little piles of toys here, and here's a tennis ball there. You love tennis balls, don't you? <laughs> and that's the problem with, with the devil's road. If you knew what was at the end, you'd never walk it, but you don't really know what's at the end because he doesn't let you pay attention to it. Look at the treats. Look at the lights. Come over here. Hey, look at that. Don't look over there. Look over here. That's it. And it works. But Jesus' road, he says, look at what's at the end of the road, because if you didn't know what was at the end of the road, you'd also never walk this one because it's so uncomfortable. Here's a here's, uh, case in point. You have to forgive people. Wait, you mean I don't get to hold a grudge against Janet at the office for listening to her music too loudly or for cooking stinky food in the cubicle next door to me? I don't get to treat her poorly or come up with some kind of a, some kind of a revenge plot? No, you don't. Well, that's no fun. But you know what's at the end, and that's life. And therefore, why would you give up life? Well, you don't. Faith doesn't at any rate. Faith doesn't. Faith says, I do want to live. You're like Jimmy Stewart. I want to live! And uh, so then, when Jesus says, well, come, give me all of your sins, and that'll be help for you to live. Then you say, absolutely, I'll do that. And faith demands things of God. God says, hey, uh, I'll get rid of your sins if you give them to Jesus, and you say, yeah, I'll take that. That's a really, really good deal for me, so uh, do that, please. Do that for me. And it's the same thing, you know, I use the example of parents that want their kids to confess. God is Father, and that's what he wants too. Why does he want you to confess? Yes, 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 he wants you to give everything to Jesus, he wants you to live, and he also wants you to learn something. I want to acknowledge that what I have done is wrong, I want to reinforce this way is good, this way is not. I want you to turn away from the bad way and go. Metanoia, repentance, I want you to turn your back on it and go the opposite direction. So, then the question becomes this. When we go to confess, what sins do we confess? As it happens, the small catechism, Martin Luther's small catechism, has an answer to that. A, actually, a very specific answer to that. So on page 326 in your hymnal, right here, upper left, how Christians should be taught to confess. What is confession? We'll look at that in a minute. But we're actually starting with number two. What sins should we confess? Before God, we should plead guilty of all sins. Even those we are not aware of, as we do in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses. Which ones? Uh, uh, mm, All of them. And, actually, I would add, the way we confess our sins when you come on Sunday morning here to the Divine Service. Because if you remember when we talked a little bit about that, this was weeks ago, and I gave you the little Winnie the Pooh, and you looked at the words, you're actually saying... That you have sinned, but nobody's asking you, well, what are the particulars? The pastor doesn't say, confess that you are a sinner. Now, if you've done this, raise your hand. Okay. If you've done this, raise your hand. You know, I don't, that's not the point of any of that. So you can, you confess that you're guilty of all sins because you are. Have you broken the Ten Commandments? In the first 30 seconds of your day, you can break all Ten Commandments at least once. Oh, try me. You don't think that that? In 30 seconds? Are you using like,
1: the, the technicality that
0: you break one part of the law you broke them Or are you trying to say, no, you have to have a checklist? Uh, well, you don't have to have a checklist, so, like, uh, but, but I wouldn't need a technicality to tell you you can break all ten in 30 seconds it'd be very, it'd be very easy. Now, I'm not gonna, like, I'm not gonna put in a play and show you how easy. (laughs) I don't need to dramatize it. But the reality is, the, the commandments are so easy to break, and in fact, it's much, it is much in your nature not to keep them. You don't really want to keep them, and you, in fact, often work not to keep them, despite what you, your regenerate mind would desire. Maybe I'd be generous and say in a minute, <laughs> but I sure I sure wouldn't say, you know, any amount of time over that. So you confess all of the sins uh, that you have committed, generally, even the ones you're not aware of. That's an important reality because are you always aware of the sins that you have committed? There's there's A point to this, and that is, I said that sinning against your, sinning on this, you know, in this direction, in this plane, that is causing harm. So, do you always know the harm that you have caused or to whom you have caused it? No, you don't you might have done something that you didn't think about that ended up causing a great deal of harm to pe- person or people. And you don't know about it. You never, se- you never thought about it. and Nobody ever comes to tell you about it. So you never quite know how what you do what your sins do may cause harm. So you confess even those that you're not aware of. I know that I have caused harm, but I couldn't tell you to whom I've done it or when or how. I just know that I have because sin causes harm. But the effect, or the, the extent to which it does that, I am not even fully capable of being aware. So you confess everything. But before the pastor, now this is. This is private confession and absolution specifically. We should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts, which is to say, what are the things which are really burdening you? Well, that's the next question. Which are these? What sins might you know and feel in your hearts? Well, consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? The answer is always going to be yes. I mean, that list is not exhaustive, but you're always something. You're al- you always have some kind of a relationship with another person. And as long as you have a relationship, then you sin because you can't not sin within the relationship. Because the answer is, whatever you are, friend, a son, a husband, a wife, a worker, a boss, whatever it is, all you have to do is say, have I been the best fill in the blank? Have I been the best friend? Have I been the best husband? Have I been the best father? Have I been the best wife, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister? Have I been the best? and when you ask yourself that question there really is only one answer and that is no I haven't. Have you been disobedient, unfaithful or lazy? Well sure. Have you been hot-tempered, rude or quarrelsome? Yes. Not only am I Scottish but I am also Scandinavian. Scots and Norwegians make for impatient uh, descendants.
1: <laughs>
0: Hot tempered. <laughs> see
1: that in your daughter? Pardon me? Do you see that in your daughter?
0: <laughs> I see much in my daughter. Oh. There's a reason my daughter is the child that I deserve. Uh-oh. <laughs> She's a very sweet little girl, but she is the daughter I deserve.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Parents tend to get the children they deserve often, I was the child my mother deserved, my mother was the child her father deserved. <laughs> I, am, I, am, I am willing to acknowledge that. Uh, it's always a surprise to people to find out that of all four children that my parents had, I was by far, hands down, the worst. Because I'm the one that became a pastor. She, oh, certainly no. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, yes. Where were you in the pecking order? I was the oldest. Oh. I was at the top. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yep. (laughs) Yep, so, uh, yes, in my daughter, I see all of it. Oh, boy. Have you hurt somebody by your words or deeds? Well, sure, yeah. Now, sometimes you know when you've done that, and other times you don't know when you've done that, but you always have. In word or deed, you have hurt somebody. Have you stolen, been negligent, wasted anything, or done any harm? Yeah, sure. We absolutely have. Now, here's the thing. Yeah, this is the small catechism. Remember this. The small catechism is the thing that we always... You know, this is like the the fundamentals. But it's not in any way exhaustive. And I like to knock Lutherans down a peg when they talk all about how they know the small catechism and small catechism and small catechism by telling them, but don't you know the small catechism was written for five-year-olds and illiterate peasants? You are not a five-year-old and you are not an illiterate peasant. So why stop with the small catechism? And of course we say, well, I guess we shouldn't. There's other things we should learn too. But the small catechism has the fundamentals. So when you look at this, is this list in any way exhaustive of how to examine yourself? No. In fact, here's one really good thing the German Lutherans uh, did. They were fantastic at showing you all of your sins. They had manuals. And I have one. And uh, it's just so long, I don't want to... Print copies for everybody here because it would take all day to print them all out. I mean, it's like a thick, each, it goes through the whole Ten Commandments and asks these very pointed, specific questions. And you can't even get through like the first three or four of them without saying, okay, okay, fine, all right, I broke the commandment, gee whiz. You know, but it's just like, "Mm, mm, mm, you did this, you did this, you're bad, you're bad. So, you know, if you're ever looking at the small catechism, and you think, "Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about myself," I think I'm probably okay here. Just come see me, and I'll knock you down another peg or two. <laughs> I'll pass. Yeah, so I don't remember. There's like there's a German uh, there's a German name for the, those kinds of little packets that you would go through, and the whole point of it was to prepare you to go to confession. So, you know, because like I had mentioned, there's always the expectation that before you go to church, you would go to confession. And then you'd say, well, what if I don't have a sin to confess? And mom and dad or pastor say, oh, you got sins to confess. You sit down and read that book and then you tell me what sins you have to confess. Okay, so it was kind of like that. So it's really a tool for, for self-examination to look at yourself and to say, okay, uh, what... What have I not done well? What do I need to work on? And what, what should I uh, confess to the Lord?
1: So a question. Yes. So being born and raised in this church, so like when I was in 7th and 8th grade before I got confirmed, when we met, it was with Pastor Salmire.
0: Okay. Every
1: Wednesday, we always studied the small catechism. Okay. Like like Samantha did, like that's just what we did. Yep. So is that just because it's just kind of like the Mm -hmm. basics of
0: everything? Because it's the basics. Uh, What a lot of churches will do is they'll study what is called the Synodical Catechism, which you may have done. But that is the book that Synod's publishing house, CPH, puts out with the text of the small catechism but then all of the questions that the Synod thinks are important to ask with all of the answers that the Synod determines are the best answers and then you spend all of your time looking at those questions and answers which is not what we do, which is why we are looking at the hymnal right now because this is just the text of the small catechism Uh, the questions and answers that other people may think are important will always change. And in fact, they have. Every single catechism is different. So it's best to have the consistency of this is the text and this is the uh, fundamentals of what we talk about. Like, for instance, with baptism. What is baptism? Well, everybody who goes through midweek already knows this. Uh, baptism is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. Okay, so you know what the catechism says baptism is. But then the question is, is that it? Then do you live the rest of your life and anytime time someone says, well, what's baptism? I'm not baptized. You know, you're, you're 48 years old now and you're working someplace and the guy in the, next, in the next office over says, so what's the deal about baptism? And you say, well, it's not just plain water, but it's the water included with God's command and combines with God's word. And he says, I don't know what that means. Can you explain it? And you say, it's not just plain water. It's because that's all you know is what the small catechism says. So, yeah, it's the fundamentals, which is why so many churches just teach what the words are, but there's so much more there. Is, is there more to say about baptism than it is not just plain water, but it's the water included in God's command and combined with God's word? I mean, yeah, <laughs> books and books and books and books more to say about that even just in the Lutheran confessions themselves, there's much more to say about it. So the whole point of confirmation is not to say you know the faith, but to say you're graduating from preschool to kindergarten, and the rest of your life is going to be in kindergarten, learning and learning and learning and learning and learning. That's the point of it all. I think I may be answered much more than what you had asked, <laughs> um, but hopefully that's yeah. helpful. Yeah. So it's not bad in fact, it's important to know, For if you are growing up in a Lutheran church it's important to know what those fundamental texts are and in fact, all tongue in cheek aside, there's a reason that the small catechism appears in the congregation at prayer every week, because it's that constant review of if you're going to know something, you should know the very, very fundamentals, so that you have a foundation to build on. But if you're just going to have it to then know it really well but not do anything with, then you should never have done it at all. It's it's better to have it as a foundation and build than to just have it and not do anything with. So. Uh, how do you confess sins? Well, that's a good question. And that's actually the first question. It's, it's kind of strange because we're doing these slightly out of order, but confession has two parts. That's important. First, that we confess our sins. And the confession of your sin is the act of actually saying, I've done, I've done this. You know, the act of giving the sin to Jesus. Getting it off of me and putting it on Jesus instead. I was mean to my sister this week. Getting it off. And you'll find this, you'll find that you, you, you really do feel a weight on you when those sins stay on you. Sometimes maybe you even have trouble sleeping at night because you are replaying something over and over in your head and thinking, how could I have done that better instead of doing it the way that I did it. And that burden that you have is a very heavy burden And in, you know, Lutherans have a bad rap because they are so often uh, combating what they call enthusiasm, but which is really just religion that's driven by how you feel, your emotions, that, that we almost fall into the other ditch and we say emotions don't matter at all. And Emotions do matter, and feeling feeling does matter. Now, of course, that's not what dictates reality, but it goes hand-in-hand hand with reality. You should have reason and intellect, and you should have feeling to accompany them. So, I'm not going to tell you what it feels like to be absolved or to confess, because maybe you don't have that feeling. But there is a pretty universal feeling of guilt that is A heavy feeling. I mean Jesus calls it a burden and it really does feel like a burden. So when you go to confess you really do almost get that feeling like a burden is being taken off. That I walk out of confession and absolution lighter than when I came in. So the first thing is getting the burden off of me. The second thing is that you receive absolution. It is possible for you not to receive it. If you come to confession and you confess your sins, and then the pastor goes to absolve you, and you say, no, 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 don't. God couldn't possibly forgive this. If you refuse the absolution, that becomes problematic. So part of the act of confession is actually not only speaking the sins out to get rid of them, but being willing to be rid of them and to have them replaced with something else. It's like trying to give your burden to Jesus and ignoring the fact that he said there's supposed to be an exchange here. I want that sins gone, but I don't want what you have to offer me. So you receive absolution, you let it happen, in other words. That's basically what receive means when we talk about it in faith. Just let it happen. Don't fight it. Just let it be what it'll be. So receive it. Let Jesus forgive you. Forgiveness from the pastor as from God Himself, what God's priests uh, do on earth, what God's priests do on earth, God ratifies in heaven. Not doubting, but firmly believing that by it, that is by the forgiveness, the absolution, our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. Why? Because God has them and has undone them. So then the question becomes, but I don't feel like my sins have been forgiven. And that happens sometimes. I go in and I confess my sins and then I walk out and I don't feel any different. Pastor, what do I do? We're gonna, we'll play a fun game. This is my favorite game. It's called You Be Me. So you hear confession, and then somebody comes back in and says, but I don't feel forgiven. What do you do? I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel like anything's happened. Yeah, I mean, you are. Just keep coming back. How many many times do you need to hear that you're forgiven before somehow finally it sticks to you? It's different for everybody. That's the fun part about being a pastor is, hey, guess what? You get to deal with people and every person is messy in their own way. It's not one giant mess. It's lots and lots of teeny tiny messes and everyone is different and everyone needs to be worked on a different way. So the person that comes and says, I don't feel forgiven, you tell them, well, you just keep coming back. I'll tell you that you're forgiven as many times as you need to hear it. Fine. Someday it'll stick. Maybe it won't stick until your deathbed, but it will stick eventually. What you need is just to keep hearing it. You might say, oh, I'm really having trouble with it, and then I say, well, then just keep coming back, and I'll keep telling it to you. Someday it'll work. Someday it'll stick. It's that same idea of, if you're a visitor coming to this church, don't worry about being on the right page or saying the right things. Listen, <laughs> you know, the reality is, this book is not for visitors. And there's a whole movement about, we need to make everything visitor friendly. But we, but we don't. Why? Because what happens here is for the people that are in. And if you're not in, and you're coming to visit, well then of course you're not going to know what's going on. You're not in. So why would I expect you to come in and know the secret handshake? I wouldn't. Or the secret knock. Or whatever it is, you know, I don't expect you to know all of that. Visitors aren't going to come in, and a lot of people feel really uncomfortable because they don't know what the I don't know what I'm supposed to say. where what is the page? I don't know what does the p mean? where the do, I don't know what I, I don't know where I am. and and God bless all of the people in church who see the visitors struggling and and come up and stand next to them and help them to follow along. God bless them all. Everybody should be like that. You should try to help the the, the stumbling visitor, but Even with help, the visitor is not going to know everything. So the best thing to do is just to tell them, stand up when everybody stands up, sit down when everybody sits down. If people are singing, sing. If people are not singing, don't sing. If If people say amen, say amen. If we pray, then pray. And everything else in between will come to you the longer that you come here. And if you're only here the one time, then just be entertained by the whole thing.
1: Uh, well, don't tell Sue about pointing out things. I don't want her to get a big head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my, yeah. So, it, but it's that, same, it's that same idea that, hey, look, if, you, if, you want, if you're here because you want to be in, and you start coming, and you don't know what's happening, don't be discouraged. Don't worry about it. It'll happen eventually. It'll happen in its own time. Everybody's a little bit different. It's the same with absolution. You don't feel forgiven? Okay. I don't, you know, your feeling isn't what determines whether you're forgiven or not. Are you forgiven? Yes. Even if you don't feel like you are because the, the word has said you are. But, you know, keep coming back. And the more you hear it, the deeper it'll stick.
1: Kind of like the positive affirmations, like when you speak about into existence. Like you have to hear it over and over and over before
0: you like, Yeah, sure. It. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it'll work on you. The thing is, the word that the Lord speaks and, and the word that the Lord is does its job, and just sometimes people are a little harder of heart, and nobody wants to talk about, well, you know, I am, I am hard of heart, but the, for, for the person that says, I don't feel like I'm forgiven, I don't really know, uh, that's a person who's maybe a little harder than other people, and the Lord's word will just kind of and finally, it'll get in there and you'll have that moment where you say, I finally feel it. Or you were in church, you go, I finally get it. Maybe it'll take a, your whole life for that to happen. But that's why you don't rely on feelings alone. Feelings are fine, but there's also the reality that God says it is, and you might not feel it, but it is. And your comprehension of the fact that it is, is the thing that will take the time, not the thing itself. Yes? Okay, I
1: have a question. Oh, shoot. One of my sisters, not Sue, we're talking about. Do you have to see a pastor to have your sins forgiven? Or, Or can you just talk to God and ask for forgiveness?
0: Oh, yeah, that's a great question. And I'm really glad you asked that, actually. So here's the thing. Yes, you can just ask the Lord for forgiveness, and you know the Lord will forgive you. But it's really, really easy to doubt the Lord's forgiveness if it's just you saying, Lord, forgive me, and then there's crickets. Okay. And it's, you know, you're waiting, is there gonna be some thunderbolt? Is the Lord, is, the, is Mount Zion gonna rise up before me and a voice come down from heaven saying, Your sins are forgiven! Like, then I know, okay, thank you, Lord! <laughs> but that doesn't happen. So the Lord says your sins are forgiven, and you say, okay, great. but where where is it where is it you you can do that in church too we start with confession and absolution in church but everybody's all saying it at the same time and the pastor says i forgive your sins to everybody it's plural i forgive y- i forgive all y'all <laughs> and uh, you know or or in the in the older language maybe more preferred i forgive ye all your sins it's, so it's not there's nothing individual about it, everything is to the whole group and it's really easy even there to have the pastor standing in front of you saying I forgive ye all your sins and to say ah, but he's not talking to me but when you go and it's one on one, there is no escape, in fact I don't let there be any escape because when it comes time to forgive you I will you know, there's touch is an important thing but I will put my hands right on you you feel it. Your name is spoken. You are forgiven. There's the touch there. You can't run away from that, and you can't walk away from that saying, nothing really happened. The Lord didn't really say anything. So here's the way to think about things like this. Uh, does the Lord forgive your sins? Well, sure, yeah, absolutely. But the Lord has also established these ways that he says, this is, what, this is how I want to interact with you. And... Uh, So you have the guarantee that the Lord is there interacting with you and that guarantee will be reinforced every time you go because it's designed to. It's sort of like, you know, um, is God everywhere? Yeah, well, obviously God is everywhere. But is he everywhere for you? No, he is not. He puts himself in very specific places for you and he has told you where all of those places are. It's like saying this, is water everywhere? No. Yes. It is is everywhere. In the air you breathe, there is water. Water is all around you at all times. But if you're thirsty, you don't walk around like a fish with your mouth open. (laughs) Just grabbing some water. Why? Because the water is not everywhere for you. You have to go to the place where it is for you. You have to go to the tap, or you have to go to the drinking fountain. You have to go to the place where it actually is there for you. God God is around you all the time, but there are very specific places where he has said, I am here for you. I am here in the font for you. I am here in confession and absolution for you. That's why those things are not the pastor who does them. It's the Lord doing them. So it's impossible, you can't escape from baptism, you can't escape from the Eucharist, you can't escape from confession and absolution, you can't escape from a sermon. You, I mean there are some things you just can't escape from. Okay? Good question. Now here's here's kind of my last big question. How do you know that you've made a good confession? Ice open up. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I wish. Yeah, no I wish. Uh, I want you to think about it like this. Oh, did you? Well, I was just thinking, like, we, we talked about last week, that uh, you don't throw on, like, the, you confess it and you stop there. And you go yeah, on. good, 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 good. Yeah, you're remembering this. See, everything ties together here. How do you know you've made a good confession when there's nothing left to say? How do you know you've made a good confession when there's nothing left to say? There is no, so make me a hired hand. It's just, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son, and there really isn't anything more for me to say other than that. I don't have an excuse to make, because there isn't an excuse. I can't make this right with you, because there's no way for me to make it right. The only thing that I can do is to tell you this is what I've done, and that's, or just leave it at that. Nothing left to say.
1: Okay, I'm 67, so if I go to confession, or when I go to confession, do I have to say everything in my <laughs> No,
0: or? that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. So here's the thing, Lutherans don't believe you have to enumerate your sins. And the biggest reason is, how can you even remember all of the things? Like If we say the only sins that are going to be forgiven when you go to private confession and absolution are the sins that you specifically mention, then not only are we both going to be there all day, but we're going to both be there all day, every day, because the next day you're going to wake up and remember a bunch of things that you didn't confess. And guess who that happened to? Martin Luther. Martin Luther got kicked out of the confessional by his father confessor, who said, I've got things to do, get out! I can't do this all day! He said, but I still kept thinking of more sins. He's like, well, write them down and save them for the next time! You know, Okay, so, it's not a, it's, private confession and absolution does not exist so that you can go down the list and say, this, 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 and you know, 40 years ago I did this. and then you know. It's for the things that are, are troubling you, the things okay. that are weighing you down. It's your opportunity to saddle Jesus up. Got it. Yeah. So, when I say there's nothing left to say, I don't mean your list is done. <laughs> right. What I mean is there's nothing to add. There's no excuse. There's no caveat. There's no... May, let's make a deal, though, or, and there's not even an, I'll be, if you forgive my sins, I'll, I'll be better next time, or you can punish me. There's, there's nothing, it's just, I played ball in the house, and I wasn't supposed to. What, is there, what, what else is there to say? So that's, that's how you've made a good confession. Now, let's look at John chapter 8. Just remember, you can't fix the problem and confession is the acknowledgement that you can't fix it. So think of, you know, the kids who, I don't know, they do something wrong and then they try to fix it before mom and dad come back because if they can fix it before mom and dad come back, then mom and dad won't notice. Quick, get the Elmer's glue, we'll fix the window, they'll never notice. <laughs> right? We'll, we'll fix it, they'll never notice. I remember. I remember my brother and I, and I have no idea why we did this. This is like a St. Paul moment. I why? There's 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 no rational explanation for it. We we were supposed to be taking a nap one afternoon, and then we couldn't sleep. We had bunk beds, so we just goofed around, and we thought, hey, you know what would be really fun? Because of course it would. If we took out some of our cassettes and pulled the tape out. (laughs) (laughs) And I I remember this. I mean, I was, I don't know, I was probably five, six. I mean, old enough to know better. Just in there brother right across from me, we had like a little bird's nest. <laughs> and I remember hearing my mother's loud pounding footsteps coming down the hall and knowing, and sitting there going <laughs> 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 like, like, we'll get it in and then she'll come and she won't know a thing. I'll try and fix it and if I can fix it then there's, then there's nothing wrong. And confession, confession. Yeah, we didn't have any pencils. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's a fast walker, though, so I don't know the pencil would have really helped. <laughs> so uh, you know, you're, you're confessing, and confessing is the acknowledgement that uh, look at all this tape on the floor. There's no way I'm ever even going to be able to get it back in. Certainly not in time. So I'm just going to say, you know. I don't have, there's nothing to say. Look, look at this. I mean, I I can't, I can't fix it. You'll have to fix it, which she didn't. She just threw them all away as a punishment. (laughs) I'm just gonna pass this out.
1: Sorry, man. When I was in grade school, I had a new coat and I got it caught on the swing set and ripped it. When I came home, my mother wanted to know how it got ripped, and I lied to her and told her another girl, Kathleen Rother. I remember her name. Ripped it somehow. She knew that wasn't it.
0: No, it's weird. It's weird how parents do really kind of know everything. I didn't. You know, it's like when. Uh, when you're being really quiet and you think for sure they'll never know because I'm being really quiet and then all of a sudden they know and then you get to be a parent and you realize there's never a quiet, oppor- there's never a quiet moment, so when there is quiet, I know something's going on. <laughs> you don't understand it until you're a parent. Right, exactly. <laughs> you don't understand your mom's, like Argus, the, the character from Greek mythology with all of the eyes all over the body. Like, would you never sleep? How do you always know everything? How do you always know what I'm doing all of the time? And all of a sudden you become a parent and you realize, oh, I was just not smart. (laughs) There's a kind of wisdom only a child possesses. It's the kind of wisdom that says, this will be a good, pulling all the tape out will be a great idea. And the kind of wisdom that says, surely I can get it back in before she makes it to the end of the (laughs) hall. Oh, let's look. Uh, John chapter 8. We'll start at verse 2 here. Now, early in the morning, he, that is Jesus, came again into the temple and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Everything's as usual. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. I love this. I'm going to teach you a lesson in how to read the Bible, which is not only about reading the words, but in reading the in between. They say she was caught in the very act. What does that mean? Uh, they were caught. Yeah. So it means somebody was watching. It means oh. they followed her, and they stood by the window and waited, and then about halfway through the show, jumped out and said, gotcha. So it's not just, there's a whole, you'd, you'd kind of gloss over it. Yeah, the woman caught in adultery. Oh man, adultery is bad. This woman was an adulteress, blah, 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 blah. But you don't stop to think, how was she caught in adultery? And why is it the Pharisees and the scribes that are bringing her in? Because newsflash, it wasn't her husband that walked in. It's the Pharisees and the scribes following people around. And they're peering through the window. Look we caught her, how'd you catch her? I love this because it's like when you, when you teach your kids that you pray before the meal and that you close your eyes and fold your hands and bow your head, and then when you're done praying and everybody says amen, one of the kids says, he had his eyes open, and you say, how did you know? <laughs> Which one of you was better, the one who had the eyes open during the prayer or the other one who was spying to tattle? Which one is better, the woman caught in adultery or the Pharisees and scribes outside the window waiting for it to happen to catch her? You see? So already there's more than one thing going on here, and they're acknowledging this. Oh, yeah, we caught her in the very act. Uh, you know, imagining, oh, yes, we'll be... We'll be uh, Shown to be good and faithful servants for that. He had his eyes open. Wait, why are mom and dad not telling me that I'm good? Why is it that nobody likes a tattletale? Why is it that snitches get stitches? Pardon me? It's fun to say?
1: (laughs) If Sue was here, she could tell
0: you. So, here we are. That's the setting. We caught her. All right. And you almost get the sense that everybody knows that this woman is this way. There's, there was a, there's, mm, I don't want to say this because the kids are here. Uh, plug your ears. <laughs> yeah, kids, cover your ears for just a minute. There was a saying when I was in high school and it was called, yeah, being the town bicycle. Mm. Okay. And every, you knew who it was. Everybody knew who it was. Yeah, you can, you can uncover yours. Everybody knew. And that's this. Everybody knows. And, uh, so that, but they just can't quite... You know, we need to have proof to take her and, and accuse her. We just can't get the proof. Well, now we've got it. All of our lurking has paid off. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. What's he writing on the ground? It's not something anybody thinks about. No. Well, let me tell you something. Yes, good. It's not like he's drawing pictures. Oh, what, what was that? Oh, oh you're, uh, well, let me tell you some wisdom. There is a, an old tradition, obviously, it doesn't say what he was writing, but there's an old tradition in the church, very old, that when he stoops down and he writes in the dust, he's just kind of looking at everybody who's accusing this woman, and he's writing down things that they have done. He's writing down the other sins of the other people here that are accusing the woman of sin. And then he stands up and says, well, you know, if any of you don't have any sins that you are also guilty of, like this woman is, you can go ahead and you can kill her. But based on what I see in the dirt, I don't really know that any of you is any better than the woman. Then those who heard it, being convicted in their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. What does it mean? What does oldest mean? Because it doesn't just mean, it, it means something more than the person who is of the highest age Yes, it is the wisest. The wisest ones are the ones who leave first because they understand what Jesus has done. And everybody else follows the wisest ones because they are learning from the wisest ones. Even if they don't understand exactly what Jesus has done, the wise ones are leaving and they do understand, I'm not going to be the one to stay behind. So they all leave. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. And that's where the world puts a period. But Jesus also says, go and sin no more. Turn your back on that. Here is your absolution. And now go live a new life in this absolution. Why does, why is stoning the punishment. This is a really interesting thing, by the way. Why is stoning the punishment of the Old Testament? Do you know? Yes. Well, you aren't allowed, like, get close and get bloody from someone. Okay, sure. There is a there is an aspect of purity, yes, but there is a deeper reason. What does Moses bring down? from the mountain stone tablets. stone tablets but what are the stone tablets the law the law is stone so when you break the law you get the book thrown at you it is the literal throwing the book will throw stone at you because that is the law's condemnation you'll be pelted with the law that you have broken so the point is not that, you know, this sin, well, you know, like Hammurabi's code. Well, if he steals a sheep from you, cut off his right finger. But if he steals a sheep and a daughter, cut off the whole arm. But if he steals a wife, er, a sheep and a daughter and then defrauds you and steals your home, well, then put him to death. It's, it's in this way, burn him. You know, it's not like, well, we have these things. It's the idea that the law kills but the law kills sin. So wherever sin is, the law pelts itself at it to bring it to death. Which is why then Jesus says, if you don't have sin, you can throw a stone at her. You can throw the book at her, but only if the book's not going to be thrown back at you. The whole point is, If she is guilty, and if you are guilty, then both of you together need the book thrown at you. You don't get to throw the book at somebody else unless you are completely clean, which none of them is. So when you come to private confession and absolution, it is the voice of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven you is the voice of Jesus saying, I do not condemn you. My Father does not condemn you. Now go and be a better bear. Sin no more. And when it is that you stumble, which we all know you will, come back here, give it to me, I'll pick you up, I'll dust off your knees, I'll set you right, and then I'll get you back on your way. That's what Jesus says. Um, Okay, any questions about any of this? We're just a little bit over, but that's okay. Did you have a question?
1: No, I didn't know what we were over.
0: <laughs> oh. It's always how it happens. I wouldn't know if I didn't have the clock staring at me. Time, uh, time forces me to be honest. Yeah. So that handout is the private confession and absolution handout that I had talked about last week that I gave to the kids. This is the whole right. On, on the right-hand side is the right, what, what happens when you go there and what is said. The left-hand side is commentary on that. We, we don't really have time to, to look over that. But, but you know, t- take a look at it. And, and if you have any questions about it, bring, bring them next time. I think next time I'd really like to, I think we're planning to finish this up. Yeah, next time should be kind of the last time. So, um, look at it. If you have questions, we'll talk. I'll, I'll try to answer them. And, uh, and because you'll be gone, if you have specific questions that you would like me to answer, you can text me or you can email them to me and I'll try and answer them for you that way too. Uh, okay, this is your last opportunity for questions about any of this. Okay, let us pray.